Well, as you know right now, we're doing a series of messages that I've shared with you, I believe are very strategic. In fact, I said to you last week that I believe this series could set the tone for the impact that New Hope is going to make for years to come. Really not the series, but our response to what God is saying to us together. Now, having said that, I realize, though, that that comes with some challenge for all of us, doesn't it? If God is saying something to us, that comes with a little bit of oomph, that comes with a little bit of choice, decision, and anytime you have a challenge, there might be some of us who will say, no, that's not worth it to me. Somebody might be saying, honey, I think it's time for us to find another church or do something else. And you know what? Anytime Jesus gave challenges, anytime he, he, he began to say to people, hey, listen, I'm calling you. Not to just kind of be acquainted with me. I'm calling you to surrender all to me. In any crowd where Jesus said that, sometimes people began to just sort of say, I I don't think so. But here's the positive. For those of us who are willing to answer his call and say, yes, I hear you, God. I hear what you're saying. I am in on this. I want to partner together. If enough of us say that together, I honestly believe with all my heart, as good as God has been to us so far here at New Hope, I believe that we are going to get to say at the end of our lives that we were a part of something great together that God did in our lifetime. Amen? The series is called I'm In. You can count on me. And last time we talked about serving. We're saying to our church family, I'm a partner, and we're going to do ministry together. We're going to serve, but one of the best ways that we can serve is what we're going to talk about together today. One of the best ways that we can partner together in serving is by saying that we are going to reach out and minister to those who are in times of need. Today, we're talking about our care ministry, and that's what I want to talk to you about is, I mean, you can count on me, I'm saying, I care. And I want to partner together with you in that. As we think about that, I want to first of all go to some verses in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And I want to talk to you about how important it is to God, first of all, how important when God sees that people are in time of need, how critical that is to his heart. Now, I'm going to give you some other verses because there are many verses. And in fact, I'm excited to be able to share to you to, with you today that there are many verses in God's Word that shows how much He cares for us. And I want you to, to write these verses down and to continue to explore in God's Word. This is not just something that New Hope's a cheerleader for God's niceness, like some people might think. No, this is in the Word of God. You might be surprised to find out God truly does care. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says we can cast our anxieties and our cares on him because he cares for us write down matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 where he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest i will give, i will comfort you i care about you write down psalm chapter 3 verse 4 on and on we could go but i want to focus on matthew 9 verses 35 through 38 it says in matthew 9 35 jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, I want you to envision that for just a moment. Jesus Christ, God himself, God in the flesh, walking on this planet, this earth that he created, he was going into all the cities and the villages ministering to people. And so just envision it today. If Jesus were here today, and by the way, he is, just in a different way, right? 
Actually, he gave some indication that, that there's, a, there's a sense in which he's here in a better way today. He's working through all of us. But the Bible says if Jesus were here, he'd be walking all through Hudson Falls. He'd be walking all through Corinth. He'd be walking all through Granville, all through Queensbury, all through Glens Falls, all through Warrensburg, ministering to people, teaching them, sharing the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then in verse 36, it says, And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to envision that today. If Jesus were here, and he is, and he were looking out across this crowd, any crowd that Jesus was in, he would look and he would see that there were people that needed him. And you know what? I've been around people long enough, and I are one, right? I mean, I, I'm a person. I know what, I know what th- pe- people go through, and I deal with a lot of people and their struggles and issues, and I've talked with many of you. So I can kind of see on people's faces, or I can kind of uh, figure out in people's lives sometimes, but certainly not in the way Jesus could. Jesus actually couldn't just figure things out. He saw, he sees today. He looks across this crowd of people, and he knows exactly what you are going through and working through in your life. Imagine that. And it says, when he saw that, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, to his followers, to us, the harvest is plentiful. Look at all the people who need me. But the workers are few. Therefore beseech, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, first of all, I think it's important that that we point something out here. Many times verses 37 and 38 are pointed at as, are pointed to as outreach verses. They're pointed to as verses that says, okay, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people who need God. And so we ought to really be thinking about praying about that God would send more people to pick that fruit and to touch those lives. And certainly God is talking about that in these verses. But actually, if you look at the context of what we're talking about here, Jesus is actually, in a much broader way, talking about how God cares for people who are in need. Isn't that how it started? Before you get to verse 37, it says that he had this large group, all these groups of people that he was working with, and he saw their needs. And by the way, the Bible says when he saw their needs, it says he felt compassion. Actually, it, it, it literally, it's hard to come across from that language to this language, from Greek to English, but it actually says he felt something deep in his stomach. Actually, it can be translated as kidneys, but I don't ever really feel things in my kidneys. That was kind of a Jewish way of putting it, okay? But it felt something, does that come across to you? He felt it deep in his kidneys? You getting that? You feeling it? No, but I can feel something in my stomach, don't you, sometimes? Sometimes you feel something in your chest. It gets tight. I mean, that's something that's really bothering you. Okay, Jesus felt compassion. It bothered him. What bothered him? It bothered him that he saw people distressed. And that, these two words that are used here have a lot of nuance to them. They, they were exhausted. They were despondent. Actually, it can be translated, they were unraveled. They were coming unglued. They were fainting and about to pass out. Does that sound like your life at any point? I feel like I'm coming unraveled. I feel like one more punch is going to be the what? The knockout punch. Jesus saw people right on the edge of giving up. And it hurt him. It bothered him. It says he saw people that were dispirited. 
Now, that's a very strong word. The word dispirited means they were violently being thrown to the ground. They were being knocked down. They were being attacked. They were actually, the word was used many times for, uh, in reference to demon possession. And what it's talking about here, it's almost like a demonic attack that these people were being violently attacked and distressed and knocked down by life. You ever felt like that? I mean, it's just like, you ever feel like you, uh, you got ran over by maybe like a Volkswagen? And then you sort of shook off and you stood up and here comes a big 18-wheeler. Okay, you ever felt like that before? Okay, that's what Jesus saw. He saw when you were going through that. And it bothered him deep inside. It says he saw us as like sheep without a shepherd. Now he described us as a type of livestock that was extremely vulnerable to the attacks of predators and needed the protection and leadership of a shepherd for their own good and safety. That's how Jesus sees us. We are really sitting ducks, aren't we? We're really, I mean, we're really, if God doesn't intervene for us, we're going to be in trouble in this life. So Jesus is talking about outreach. He is talking about pointing people to him, but it's really in the context of him seeing our great need for him, how our lives are being torn apart, and how we need God to work in our lives, and how much he cares about that. There are perhaps no better verses in the Bible. Listen, if you ever wondered, does God see my life? Does God care about me? There are perhaps no other better verses in the Bible that says you don't have to have any doubt. God sees, he knows, and it bothers him for you. And he wants to do something about that. He wants to meet your need. And actually, we get the impression from these verses, he wants to meet your need through me. Isn't that what he said? He said, there are so many people. So he said to his disciples, he says, I want you to be as concerned about those things as I am, and I want you to pray that I'll, send, that I'll be able to send out more people into that amazing harvest of people that need me. And there's maybe no better motivation for us to do that. Number one, he just told us to. That's good enough, right? That's maybe the best motivation, just obeying his command. But also, when you realize that God has met your needs, and and by the way, he hasn't just past tense met my needs, he is meeting my needs. Amen, anybody? So God has amazingly met my needs. He continues to amazingly provide for me everything that I need. And so I begin to have a motivation of how could I possibly keep that to myself? I want to share that with other people. I want to keep the dominoes dropping, amen? I want to see that effect just spread like wildfire across this earth. But also, when we begin to have a heart for God, if he has a heart for people, then I'm going to begin to have a heart for people. Amen? I mean, we begin to change from having a focus on ourselves to saying, you know what? If Jesus has a heart for people like that, I care about those people, and I want to be his servant to meet those needs. In fact, write down 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Actually, 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Okay, what that's saying is, we, we can recognize what true love is, not because we love God first, but because he loved us first and did something we couldn't do for ourselves. He, we know love because he did something sacrificial for us. He laid down his life for us, and in light of that, We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The Bible's very practical, isn't it? 
See, many times as Christians, we can talk, we can think, we can have ideas, we can be very abstract and theoretical in our thinking, but the Bible won't let us do that. The Bible says if we have experienced the love of God, if he's really working in our lives, then we cannot stand and see someone in need and be okay with that. Little children, he says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Listen to this. We will know by this, by this kind of response of caring for others like God has cared for us and like he cares for them, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. By the way, if you're wondering about assurance of your salvation, what kind of fruit does a a Christian bear, what helps you to know that you're a child of God, you need to read 1 John. But here it's giving us one of those things. Listen, listen to this. The kind of heart that cares about the needs of others is a big evidence that you are truly born again. Did you hear that? The opposite is also true. If I do not have a heart, if I am only focused on myself and what I need and what I want and and what God needs to do in my life, if that is the case, I really need to ask myself some serious questions about really whether I've ever experienced truly eternal life. I want us to recognize something, church family. Many Bible-believing churches say a lot, but we do not show a lot. In fact, you'll hear hear churches sometimes say, we stand upon the Word of God. And they're so proud of that. And it sounds so so theoretical. We, We stand upon the Word of God. But actually... You can't stand upon the Word of God. You can't claim to be faithful to the Word of God if you're not also not just speaking it, but living it. Do you realize that? So it can't just be a speaking faith. Now, we, sh- we should share, right? We should speak God's truth and share God's hope and God's message. In fact, some of us lean the other direction. Some of us want to do a bunch of good deeds, but never open our mouth. God wants us to open our mouth and share the truth sometimes, lovingly and graciously. But we also, many Christians, aren't doing a lot of showing it. We need to show that we care in God's family and in our community. So if we're going to be a people that care for others, we need to understand, first of all, how critical it is to God to meet the needs of people. But secondly, we need to realize this. Caring is a challenge. I've got to tell you, my boys, my boys and I, if it were not for our girls... My boys and I would probably always watch sports or some kind of battle or some kind of, you know, dramatic, you know, guys in a mess and got to get themselves out of it kind of thing. But since we have three girls in our house, they kind of educate us boys on the more sensitive side of life. In fact, Drew and I always kind of bemoan the fact that it does not matter what movie you're watching. It does not matter. I know what's coming. I mean, these guys can be in battle, and they're on horses, and it's all out, and all of a sudden a woman shows up, and he's just got to kiss her, and then he goes back to battle. We're like, why did that have to, why does there have to be kissing? Oh, we thought we were going to get through one. You know what I'm talking about? Jane Austen, Hallmark, the whole thing. I mean, I've seen them all. And one thing I've noticed is it's almost like every movie there's like this line. In fact, we just watched one this last week. It's like, oh, John, oh, Marsha, loving you is so hard, but 
But I would rather love you with the heart than never to have experienced your love at all. And the boys are like, oh. <laughs> Can we get back to the battle, please? <laughs> as bad as I hate to admit it, though, it might be less trouble. It might be less messy to let other people into our lives. But the Bible does affirm it's worth it. Write down Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. I love these verses. The Bible's using a picture here to describe to us a principle, a truth. It says, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. Okay? If you want a beautiful barn, if you never want to have to clean up manure, you never want to have to, you know, sweep the barn, you never want to have to paint it, you never want to have to mess with the, the, the mess of animals and livestock, you just build you a beautiful barn and you don't let any cows in there. No horses. We're not having sheep, pigs, anything. Now, I just want to ask you. You go ask a practical Washington County farmer, how many barns have you ever built? You just kind of looked at. You just kind of said, I just wanted a pretty barn on the back 40. I mean, any common sense farmer is going to be like, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. The only reason we're building that barn is because we need it for the livestock. The Bible says where no oxen are, the manger is clean. If you don't let anyone in, you won't have so many problems to deal with. But much revenue, much profit comes by the strength of the ox. Do you hear it? Okay, so the Bible's just saying, caring, getting involved with other people's lives is going to be messy. If you don't realize that, I'm just going to let you know it. It is. Don't be surprised when it happens. If you don't want to get in a mess, don't get involved with people. But I can tell you this, it's worth the trouble. It is. I mean, think of it this morning. I mean, yeah, I could, I could sit down and list for you a hundred reasons why it's a pain to do New Hope, okay? I could say, we got this, we have to manage this, we have this, this person's this, whatever, 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 but I can't help it. Three ladies just proclaimed that their eternity's been changed and we got to be a part of that. I'm just like... All right, I'll deal with it. Amen? Isn't it worth it? And three more last night, and four or five more in a few weeks, and that's, that's just the people getting started. How many of us in this room have gotten started and are in the process of God growing us and changing our marriage, and you're telling me those stories, and while here, we're here in this room, God's changing lives in that kid's church, many people are telling me that the reason they came to New Hope for the first time and the reason they stayed or came back was because their kids said, Something amazing happened back there on that other wing. Wow! Those precious little lives are being changed. Is it a pain? Is it trouble? Yeah. Yeah, I could give you the list. And you probably have your own list. But is it worth it? Yes, yeah, worth it, isn't it? In a few weeks, we're going to have our, our spring clothing closet. I love that. I love that because it's a lot like what I was just talking about. Instead of just saying it, let's show it. Amen? And, and you know what? A few years ago, some of our ladies got together and said, we've got a lot of stuff in some totes or in our basement. We were waiting, you know, we were passing down to kids or family or whatever, but, but now the kids are getting older and we don't need them anymore. Our family's kids are getting older. They don't need them anymore. Instead of just letting them sit there, saving them for something else, let's just open up the boxes and share. And it's just spread. 
You know, in a few weeks, this room is going to become a store. And lives are going to be changed and touched because somebody just said, I've got some extra, I'll share it. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's pain for those ladies. I mean, all year long, you know, they're, they're going shopping. I don't know if the shopping's a pain, but they're going shopping, and they're looking for deals, and, and they're setting things aside, and then they're going through closets, and they're going through drawers, and they're going through bags and totes, and, and then they have to put word out in the newspaper and, and, and publicize it, and then they have to come and get these chairs moved and, and bring a bunch of racks in and sort all the clothes, and, and then the people are lined up out the doors, and please wait, ma'am, and try to be sweet and gracious, and, and everybody comes in, and, and then they got to clean up, and man... They're worn out. Good grief, it's a lot of work. Man, hundreds of people were ministered to for free. There was, there's not any charge. Because you know what? That's how God has blessed us. He's giving us wonderful things amazingly for free. It is a challenge, but I'm saying I think it's worth it. Amen? Well, let's look at the last thing this morning because there's a bigger picture that God, I believe, wants me as your pastor to share with you this morning so we can have a better idea, okay? That, that sounds good and everything, and we need to do that, and we need to deal with the challenge of it, but how do we actually do this together? Write down Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you Acts 2, verse uh, 45, and in that verse it says, and they began selling, this is the early church, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Then over in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And the congregation of the multitude... By the way, there were thousands of people who had come to know the Lord by this time. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common, and, and actually in my translation it says common property, but, but actually it literally says all things were common to them, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. By the way, a giving, caring church is a fun church to be a part of. It's a powerful church to be a part of. You get to see God do some amazing things. That's what it says. In the middle of all that great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection. Abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, one Bible teacher said this. Listen, let's be very clear. This does not mean that these early believers lived in a commune and they just put all their money together and redistributed it equally. Some people have interpreted that. We're going to move to Montana and be a group and just kind of live on a hillside somewhere and just kind of share all of our resources. That's not what he's talking about here. By the way, he didn't leave us here to move to Montana and hide out. He left us here to share the good news. How are we going to do it on a hillside in Montana together? But here's what this person said. They said they held their own possessions lightly. Hold on loosely. They were ready to use them at any moment for someone else as the needs arose. You get the impression from the early church that they cared about each other. It was a family, a growing family that they continued to add to, and they worked hard to help each other out. Now, those verses are kind of focused on the financial part of it, the material part of it, but, but let me give you some verses that focus on the broader aspect. Write down Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23. Now, again, what I'm trying to share with us here is, 
how God has given us to do this together. Because as I've shared with you, many times pastors challenge that we should do something, but we don't really give direction on how we can do something. That's what I'm trying to give you right here. God gives us how. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, it says, And it came about on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. Now, uh, we think that there were probably about 2 million people, the Israelites, that Moses was leading. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Okay, so Moses was supposed to take care of the people, and there were a couple million people, and so he'd sit there, get up first thing in the morning, go to bed late at night, two million people standing in line, and somebody did this, and I need this, and what about this, and what does God say about this? And so Moses was doing that. What do you think? He maybe covered a thousand people? Okay, so there were still, what would that be? 199,000 people still left? So at the end of the day, Moses was flat worn out, and there were still most of the people didn't have help or didn't have their answers that they needed from the Lord. Well, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. He says, what is this thing that you're doing? Why do you sit alone and judge all the people and, and all the people stand about you morning until evening? Moses explained what he was doing. But then his father-in-law said in verse 17, he says, the thing that you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the peoples represented before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest game, so godly men, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. So what God said is, listen... I've got a plan for this. You need to break them down into what? Groups. Smaller groups. Let them judge the people at all times and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. Listen, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people will also go to their place in peace. Now this is what God's saying. I shared with you a, 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 a couple of messages ago. We don't intend for anybody here to die doing it. Amen? We want everybody here to say, you know what? God has given us a part. Let's get together, do our part. And you know what? All of us... Well, there's something to sacrificial giving, amen? I mean, it's going to be some cha- there's going to be some challenge, and sometimes there's some sacrifice involved, but if, it, if we all work together, all the needs will be met, God will be glorified, and we'll be fulfilled having been a part of it. That's what that word says. Now, let's talk about our plan to do this at New Hope. Let me first of all say this. It's going to look different than many of us have experienced. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, there are some of us who have never experienced a care ministry in a church. So it's going to be different for you in that way. We have one. Because you've been in churches where maybe, maybe some of you have never been in church. And so you think, well, church is just, you come, you learn a, a little bit, then you leave, you do your own thing, and you're beginning to learn. Now, we're not trying to get in anybody's life. And, you know, we're not trying to get anybody's face or be intruding or anything like that. But hopefully you're beginning to learn that a church is a family. 
And there's relationship and there's connection and we do care. Many people who have gone to church have told me this is what I've experienced at church. You go to church, you don't even take your coat off, you just sit there, you stay for 30 minutes, you turn around, you go out and you go about your business. By the way, if you got your coat on, it doesn't mean you're unspiritual this morning, okay? (laughs) But they're just saying, it's just kind of, you go in, you punch your spiritual time clock and you... In fact, many people tell me, Pastor Robbie, just the fact that someone spoke to me in the foyer was pretty amazing. Because many churches I've been to, they acted like I didn't even exist. Okay, so that's going to be a little new. We want to be a church that cares. And by the way, I think probably if that has been your experience, you kind of want it, don't you? You're kind of interested to see what that's all about, but you kind of want that. You wanted more. Now, that's the first thing. We're going to have a care ministry. But secondly, for others, you need to know it won't be perfect. Now, while we have some people who have experienced a ministry of care in a church family, others, or who haven't experienced that, others have experienced it and actually have very high expectations of that ministry in a church. Maybe you come from a church that promised you, we will take care of you. In fact, there are some churches that have said, almost to the point of that you're entitled to it. You deserve it. You should demand that from the church. In other words, they have unrealistic expectations. I've got to tell you, listen, please listen this morning. We will not get this perfect. We will not get it perfect. We have and we will miss some things. What we need to understand, and and I'm going to share our heart here with you in just a minute, this is not a customer service type of thing that we deserve or we can demand like from a business. It's more of a common heart that we share. Amen? That it's, it's, It's like God's working in my life. I want to be a blessing to as many people as I can. So we're not going to meet every need. Listen, this is our heart. We're not going to meet every need, I'm sure but we sure do want to. Amen? So we got to acknowledge that we're going to miss some things, but we sure don't want to. And it would be more like this. I wouldn't be personally so concerned that my need gets met or not met, but I'm really concerned if yours does. And even then, it wouldn't be, okay, somebody's got this need in their life. What's the church going to do about that? It would be more like this. Somebody's got this need in their life. How can I help make sure that such and such happens and this person is taken care of? That's the heart. That I have a heart. That you have a heart. And if a bunch of those kind of hearts get together, you've got a really caring place. Amen? Let me ask you a question. Let's just get real practical. Sometimes we're so theoretical. You're in the early church, 3,000 in one day. Do you think that was a well-oiled machine? Do you think that those fishermen and all those different people that have been brought together were just management kings? They just had it all figured out. They're like, here's how we're going to organize this thing. No. In fact, to some extent, getting like that kills it, doesn't it? You want to start making it organizational? What we realize is that we are an organism, a living body, an organism, and an organism has order and has care. But the focus is not the order. That's an organization. I believe, from what I can see in the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, the purpose that God had was for there to be some planning involved, but really it was more spontaneous an environment of care and love and spontaneous caring for one another. Now, here's how we intend for that to work at New Hope. First of all, just like it says in God's Word, 
smaller groups are the focus of care at New Hope. What do we call those? We call those our growth groups. In our church, you've heard us talk about, we have the big group, that's this. We have the small group, that's our growth groups. And then we have ministries. We have areas of service. We talk about that as worship, grow, and serve. But listen, we are banking on our growth groups to be the primary place where we care for one another. Did you hear that? So if our growth groups don't happen, it's not going to happen. And it happens two ways. First, while you're in a group, and secondly, when you come out of that group. Now, let me describe the first part. While you're in a growth group, we're saying, when you're, if you've ever been a part of a growth group, you're going to hear us talk about prayer, care, and share. Okay? You've got, in that group, we want to be praying for one another, and we want to be praying for what God's doing for the larger church family right now. Uh, the share part. We want to be sharing life together. We try to plan a fun outing together. Where we can just hang out together. And we also want to be sharing Christ together. So we do some ministry together. So that's the prayer and the share part. But the care is what we're focusing on. In the care part of our, our growth group, we have a person in each group that we want to say, okay, I'm going to help us keep up with who's in the group. Maybe they're missing this week. Maybe they've been out for a couple of weeks. Hey, we heard that so-and-so is having a baby. Let's get some meals together. So again, you see there is somewhat of a plan, but it's really dependent on relationships. You see what I mean? We don't want to over-plan it, but we do want a structure, but it's highly dependent upon relationships. Now that's why you're in a group. So there's a small group of people studying God's Word, building relationship, caring about one another with, a, with a, as little structure as possible because you want to kill something, over-structure it, Amen. But, but there is some structure to encourage that it does happen, but it's really dependent on the relationships in that group. And then after you get out of a group, sometimes you'll go in one direction, and some of those people in that group will go in another direction, but we're hoping that you built some relationships that will go beyond that group. And you're going to connect with some people in those groups that you want to go out for coffee with, or you want to kind of go out to, maybe you want to do a family vacation together, or you want to do some ministry together. And so what we want to do, now that's not a more formal type of care ministry, but we're trying to encourage, listen, we're trying to encourage an environment where people are caring for one another. That is really what we're banking on. Now, I've got to share something with you that's very important. All right, so everybody listen. This deals with sometimes our expectation of how God works through our church family. And I want to share something with you that sometimes we find. Sometimes people have a need in their life and they'll say to me, Pastor Robbie, I didn't really have anyone from the church that reached out to me in my time of need. Okay, well, that bothers us. You know, we, we want to make sure that needs are met and, and that people are ministered to. But many times I will ask, I'll say, so really, no one ministered to you during that time? And they'll say, well, so-and-so did, but I mean, the church didn't. I'll say, oh, okay. I'll say, so were they the only person that reached? No, so-and-so gave me a call, or so-and-so sent me an email, or so-and-so brought a, you know, a box of food or whatever. And I say, well, that's starting to sound like some people from our church. Okay, well, listen, let me share something with you. What people don't realize many times is that your pastors and other ministry leaders are trying to be a quarterback and trying to guide ministry towards you. And sometimes people are looking for a formal, a formal organizational response to something in their life. Really what we're shooting for is not that you get a, an organizational response to your life, but what we're shooting for is that your need is met. 
And so many times when we hear about so-and-so has a need or so-and-so is in the hospital or, or something like that, what we'll do immediately is call some of the people that are close to you. We'll call people that you're in a growth group with. We'll call people that you're in a ministry serving together with. And those people will rally around and come meet that need. Now that person might think, no one from the church met my need, but actually, who's the church? Is it 454 Corinth Road? Or is it the body of Christ working in Queensbury in this area? All of us working together. And so God has given pastors, and that's where deacons become involved. Now, let me jump into that for just a second. How we're going to structure these groups, okay? Well, let me ask you this. It, sometimes when you're in a group, or actually most of the time when you're in a group, can that group take care of one another's needs? Many times, yes. Okay, so let's say you're having a baby, you're in the hospital for a couple of days. Can a growth group, a small group, can they get together a few meals and encourage and go visit, maybe send some flowers together? Yes. Okay, but are there sometimes bigger needs that it's harder for a group to take care of by themselves? Let me give an example. If you were sitting in your group and as a prayer request said, could you pray for me and my spouse because we're struggling a little bit, could y'all pray for us? Could a group do that? Yes. But if I came into a group and I said, uh, I'm leaving tomorrow, we're getting a divorce. Would you kind of say, uh, we're in over our head. <laughs> Can we have some help over here? Amen? Okay. Well, there's, as Exodus 18 talked about, we need deacons and their wives who can be over clusters of groups so that as there are needs that are either practically too big, if someone's in the hospital for three days, one group can take care of it. But if they're out of work and in the hospital for six months... There might need to be a couple of groups working together to rotate some meals. Does that make sense? And so if we have deacons, we can have those deacons over a cluster of groups for them to work together to meet the practical needs. Or if there's a bigger spiritual kind of need, like not just we're having trouble, but we're getting a divorce tomorrow, there would be someone like that trained to help them work through that. Does that make sense? And then if, it's, if it progresses or gets more serious beyond what a deacon feels like, that person could take care of Then we have a care pastor. Other pastors might get involved. Isn't that starting to sound a lot like Exodus 18 that we just read? Now, let me share a little bit about deacons before we move on. Some of you men and your wives in this room are ready to be deacons. You're ready to serve in that way. You have the maturity you have the foundation, you even have the experience. There are some people in our church who have been deacons, men who have served at deacons as deacons in other churches, but here's what they've told me. I used to be a deacon in another church, but I ain't going to do it at New Hope. Well, that's not very nice. What'd you come here for? Just to hang out? Now listen, I know that some of you have had tough experiences in other churches. Maybe you got burned out. Maybe you got hurt. And I'm not going to promise you it's going to be perfect here, but I can tell you this, and our pastors will tell you this, and I think our ministry leaders will tell you this, we try to take care of people. We try not for anybody, like I said, to die doing this. We're going to work together as long as we communicate together, as long as we work together, we stay unified, and we listen to the Lord together. There's going to be a lot of neat things happen through us together here in this church family. And I guarantee you it's going to be pretty fulfilling. Here's all I would ask you to do. Don't close the Lord off. If God has given you experience, if God has given you things to use, don't say, no, I'm not going to use that. Say, God, 
If you want to use this, I'll let you use it. The Bible says, as a church grows, there needs to be men serving as deacons and their wives working together with them, not to be the pastors or elders, as many churches wrongly utilize them, but to assist the pastors and the elders so that they can focus on their main areas of responsibility. Right on Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. We won't now, that doesn't mean our pastors don't minister, but it just means they don't do all the ministry. And it means that the deacons help to coordinate that ministry so that pastors can focus on feeding and leading and guarding and guiding the congregation and equipping the congregation and seeking God for his direction for the congregation. God has an order, and he set it up so that at the end of the day, we'll all say, that was pretty cool to be a part of. Now, I mentioned the outreach part a little bit earlier. If we are this kind of church, we'll experience so much joy in what God is doing among us that we'll want to reach out and share it together. And there'll be a watching world around us that says, hey, I see something pretty special happening there. Can I be a part of it? And they'll want to be a part of God's family. I want you to think about it for just a moment with me. Many times, I'm standing up here, I'm looking at all of you guys. I'll go to the Civic Center for a basketball game. Probably going to go to some later this week as they're having the high school tournament. I'll go to a concert like I did a few weeks ago for the, uh, the third day concert. I'll go to Lake George to see the fireworks with my family, maybe July 4th. Thousands of people. And I just think to myself, I wonder what's going on in all these hearts today. I wonder who is just about to throw in the towel. I wonder who just needs a little wind blowing in their sails today. Amen? Instead of getting all bent out of shape at the lady at Walmart that's checking you out, why don't you think to yourself, I wonder if this job is kind of hard. I wonder if it's difficult to deal with all these knuckleheads that come through here and think that they ought to be the, the number one person. The more that you follow Jesus, yeah, we all got problems, amen? But the more that you follow Jesus, the more you can't help but wonder, how can I be a part of making it better for someone else? That's why God made a family. So I don't have to just be doing random acts of kindness. We can do focused, unified, purposeful, visionary. Let's work together. Yeah, you go do the random. Just go tear it up. Just go bless people. But we can also be a part of an effort where we see God do something amazing together. Would you pray with me as we close out this morning? Father, it's good news for me, for my life, for my family, that you've given me a church to be a part of. And I thank you for them. And I hope that that's true of every person in this room. Lord, that we don't just come here and do some religious things and then we turn around and walk out, but actually we're starting to see that it's a lot bigger than just what happens in this room for about an hour on Sunday or Saturday. This is just a part of it, a piece of it. I have people in my life who care for me and who have my back, and I've got theirs. What an awesome thing. 
Some people don't even have that through their blood relatives. And so I thank you for giving us that God puts people in families, as your word says. And Lord, I pray that we'll all be so thankful for what you're doing in our lives that we'll turn around and offer that to others. Lord, there are many thousands who still need you in our area and all over the world. Help us not to be the end of the blessing, but just the beginning of it getting started. Help someone today to take that step and say, yes, Lord, the next time I'm in a group, I want to be the one to say, how are we going to take care of each other while we're doing this Bible study together? I want to be the care leader. Father, I pray that someone in this room will say, I heard about something last week and I know I need to take that meal to that person or send that email or I know I need to be a deacon or I need to be willing to serve in ways that maybe I've never imagined before to make a difference in the lives of others. And Lord, I also pray today that just like these ladies have shared through their baptism testimonies, that if there's someone here today that does not know for sure that they are a part of your family, would you just whisper in their heart, in their mind, in their ear that you want them to be a part of your family and you care for them. And if they would just receive your gift today and say, Jesus, please come into my heart, wash my sins away and be my Savior. I want to follow you, that you will come in and do this for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.